you get you got a taste of what my uh, my life's been. I started pastoring. Uh, when was it? Like 13 years ago, we restarted a church. And Dan, right in the beginning, were you there the first Sunday? You were there the first Sunday. How old were you? The 17 years old, the first Sunday. <laughs> the song sounded a little different. <laughs> he would switch from the high to the low range to the high. No, Dan has always had a beautiful voice, and uh, and you've had, my, I think my sister Christine's come here as well. She's our worship leader, and we're not giving her up, so just so you know that. But um, I've always had that before I preach. So I always feel like I'm just doing the dessert, maybe. Like, I've never understood people who show up late to worship because um, I just get ministered the words given, scriptures given. And there's also something in worship. Worship will tell a little bit about your stubbornness. Because worship, you don't get control. Like, think about this week. Was anybody praying the same prayer as someone else verbatim? Was anybody saying the exact same words? You might have had a similar prayer, but it was probably a little different. How many people prayed this week? Raise your hand. You're going to raise it even if you didn't, but like, anyway. I, so you raise your hand and you prayed and you had specific needs and specific requests. And how many of you praised God this week? You said, thank you, Lord. And again, raise your hand regardless. It's, uh, we have cameras. We're going to look at them later and see who didn't raise their hand. And then uh, we ship them to another church. So you don't know the pastors all get together and we trade and... I'll give you two of these non-worshippers for a tither. You good? You know, that kind of thing. But it's not my church. So if I destroy your church, it's not a big deal at all. So remember that time, the last time Doug spoke at Dan's church? Yeah. But, you know, you all had individual expressions of worship. And I'm glad we can individually praise God. I'm glad that God is not the Borg that we're all assimilated into and we lose all thought. That we still get our identity, right? It's even like the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have one God, right? One God. One God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That there's this community in the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Father. There's a mystery to this. But the Son's still the Son, and the Father's still the Father. Well, there's an aspect of being a Christian where we are brought into that. Jesus went to the cross so that we could share in his joy that he had with the Father. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and suffered so that we could enter into that community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you say, what's this have to do with worship? Worship, if you sang, if you showed up, we all sang the same words, right? To the same tune. And there's something that happens when we surrender to a voice that's bigger than ours. Because there's only one will that matters, it's God. And there's only one song that we'll sing. It's his. And that's what eternity really is. Heaven is. It's the complete will of God. Us abiding in God's will. Complete and whole. And so when you worship with the integrity of joining in. It's not just about singing. Because you, you might be mumbling because your throat isn't working. But it's about I'm going to enter in. You ever heard that term? Enter in. I'm going to be a part of the whole. And, that, and you know what happens in worship? We've seen it like Jesus rises up in our midst. What does the Bible say about the body? You are the body of Christ, not just metaphorically, but that God rises up in our midst. And so then we're like, oh, this is this is good. Something bigger than me is here. Something stronger than me is here. There's what, what happens when you and I hang out and worship God. There's more than just two of us. 
why you worship in your family with your spouse and with your kids. Is suddenly you're a bigger family. And so worship is a part of that, but it requires submission. And so I just want to, because I can do this as a guest speaker, is challenge you. The concept of saying, well, I'm not a worshiper or I'm not a singer. I want you to challenge that. Because there's anointing in joining in on what God's doing. I've seen my brother. He's anointed in worship and everyone else around him is as well. And there's something that happens when I join into that. Are you in the service? Are you a spectator? Are you just kind of processing everything? And I like that. I didn't like that. What's he doing? Where's he going? When you step outside, you find yourself where you always are, just kind of in your own thoughts. Church gives you the opportunity to come into the hole, to lay down your burdens, and to listen to what God is saying. I would encourage you. That takes trust. You have to, yield. You have to trust God. You're going to take care of me as I yield my life and become a part of this bigger life. So I would encourage you to worship. Did you remove the clock? I'm in trouble now. Last time I preached here, they sent me a tape of how long I went, and I apologized to Pastor Chad immediately. So, as well. Hey, a couple things, Dan. You don't have to be apologetic at all. I'm so proud of Dan. You do things better than I do it. You're the pastor I want to be. When I grow up, I want to be like you. If you are complaining about this church not doing enough stuff, you need to repent right now. Did you hear all the announcements? You were doing one activity for every person in this church. Did you notice that? There was like a hundred different things. A hundred. I got tired. Just I wouldn't even have wanted to read the announcements, let alone do those things. And I want to remind you, those aren't just so you can do stuff. They're so you can have relationship. Church is a relationship expressed in things like parties and film nights and such but it's a relationship and you have opportunity this summer to have a relationship i'll also warn you in the summer if you stop getting connected with the church this miracle will happen it happens to all pastors you'll disappear during the summer and we'll be working in the field to go where did everybody go right like that and then you come back in the fall and you say i just don't feel connected anymore i feel like god has called us to go somewhere else that is not god god does not talk to everyone in october what happens is through the summer like, I've had God speaks to people in October. I say, he didn't tell me. But just stay connected. I, you can go on vacation with a note, right, from the doctor as well. You have to have notes to be, not be here. But you can. You can do that. You can go on vacation. But I want to encourage you, stay connected. Stay connected. All right? Dan, you're an amazing pastor. I want to honor you. I don't know if I'll preach a good message, but I want to honor you. He is a very sincere person. I am not as sincere. He is sincere. If he says it, he believes it. My congregation doesn't clap for me. I think even that, because he's an encourager, right? So you're an encourager as well. You are released, Dan. You're released to do what God's called you to do, to be what God's called you to be. I've been around pastors who are duplicitous. He won't speak poorly about you, even when he should. He doesn't. I don't know any of your gossip. How are things going? They're going well. Well, I tell me, who's giving you a bad time? Well, you know, there's challenges, but God is good. Any names, any faces? No, he just, he encourages, he speaks about you in private the way he speaks about you in public. And he's all in. He's foolishly all in. 
He says things to me that don't make sense. He says, you know what I like to do is if I could just do it, it's just to have coffee with three or four men or women, you know, just to as many times as I could. I'm like, why would you want to do that? I want to preach my message, go out the back door, sit in my holy room, work on my messages, come down from the mountain with the glory of God, give you the word, you figure it out. I'll be somewhere you can't find me. I am a terrible pastor, a decent communicator, but a terrible pastors have to love you. Pastors have to be with you. Now, God is forcing me to love people, but it's not what I want to do. By the way, if you're not embracing a ministry because that's not you, you don't get to choose that. If God has called you, you do it. Well, I'm not good with kids. I don't care. I'm not good with people. And I'm a pastor. I'll challenge you. No, I'm not good with people and I'm a pastor. So what's your excuse? I'm serious. You do your best. But I'm so proud of you, Dan. And I got to tell you, could some people just cover him in prayer? Could you? Because what happens is when God is holding you and caring you and protecting you, you forget that you're doing this impossible thing. And then there come those days when you just feel the weight of it. And I think sometimes God allows us to fill the weight so we understand who gets the glory and who's doing the work. But could you sincerely pray for him? Do you believe in spiritual battle? Do you believe that that happens? Do you believe in demons? Do you believe there's a Satan, an enemy? If you believe that, where would Satan go? Where would he go to try to defeat? Where would he go to try to win the battle? He would go after the influencers. So I've often found after the best Sunday when people are delivered and set free, I'm coming home and there's a different dialogue in my head. And I believe, and not to be all weird and goofy, but I believe that if demons were to follow people, they don't follow the inactive, the inert, the indifferent. They follow people who are world changers. And I want to encourage you, that's the challenge for you too. You're like, well, I started in this ministry and, and I just feel like I'm facing attack. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. You're going to kind of face what Paul faced and Peter faced. So let's pray for each other. Let's build each other up, okay? All right. Hey, uh, I want to let everybody know. You get to be the first people to know it. I won a major award today. I've won a major award. You'll be the first to know it. Uh, I I just found out today that I'm the world's best dad. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have a mug to prove it. I didn't bring it with me as well. I'd like to thank all all of you who voted. Appreciate that as well. And those of you who didn't win, hey, maybe next year it's an honor to be nominated with me. I mean, that was really, I'm really glad that you tried, right? So did you get the number three dad mug? Number four dad t-shirt? Who got that as well? There's too much pressure on Father's Day. On Mother's Day, we praise women about how great they are and wonderful they are and how you should love your mother. On Father's Day, we tell men what a lousy job you're doing and why you need to do better. What's wrong with you? Be the man. There's too much pressure. Like I always, anybody tried to behave like yesterday, you kind of behaved well because you knew people would be honoring you today. Anybody, you were out with the kids. Be honest. You're like, I got to be nice because tomorrow I'm getting the cards that say you're the world's best dad. We rebuke our kids when they call me the world's best dad. I say, I am not. There's some man in China who has four jobs, who supports eight kids, who gave his kidney to his wife. He's the best dad. I'm in the top 40 percentile or something like that. That's the mug I want. World's top 40 percentile dad. 
our most adequate dad, our mostly right dad, or most improved dad, or better than last year. Or dad, we may forgive you for the three things you did wrong that will scar us for life, dad. (laughs) And here's the wonderful thing. Any new parents here? New parents? No matter how good you are as a parent, they will remember the three things you do wrong. You might just be the world's best dad. And they'll remember when you yelled at that coach. Of course, they were five years old and it was their first day in basketball. But they'll remember that no matter all the other stuff you do. So grace will cover your parenting. It's hard to be a father. It's hard to be a parent. And as we were doing in worship here, it's hard to live sometimes. Life is difficult. And there's some things outside our control, but there are some things within our control as well. And what I want to talk to you just briefly today about, because really I would preach this message again and again and again and again, as long as anyone would listen. I'm going to talk about one of the most important decisions you'll ever make in life. And it's just, it's a decision you have to make every day of your life. And if you've heard me preach, you've heard me preach about this before. Why? Because I don't think people get it. Why? Because I don't get it. But I think it's where transformation occurs. You may be the world's best dad or the world's worst dad. But today you have a decision to make that will determine the rest of this day and the rest of this life. I believe you have a choice. And you have a choice to serve God or to serve yourself. You have a choice to serve the creator are to serve the created. Here's one we can raise our hand for. How many of you are created? Who wants to raise their hand? If you haven't raised your hand, either we have secret cloning going on. We're all created. You are created. By the way, I don't like it when people make me raise my hand either, but I love making you raise your hand. So we are created. And the struggle you're going to have in life is do you serve the creator or the created? And this is not just about salvation. This, well, I gave my life to the creator. I'm, I'm his. This is about every single day of your life. Because I want to let you know this. When you give your life to Christ, that decision to serve the creator versus the created is going to be kicked up a notch. Because when you begin to serve God, he begins to create amazing things in you. When you begin to serve God, he gives you things you didn't deserve. He answers prayers that you thought wouldn't be answered. He does amazing things. And when he creates amazing things, the tension is, you know what? I want to serve all these things you created. I want to spend all my time with these wonderful things you've given me. You know when people come into the church when they're destitute? I don't know why I'm making people raise their hand. I keep wondering, were you destitute when you came in? But anyway, are you destitute now? People come in when they're destitute, right? They come in with drug addiction. They come when they've burned every bridge. They've built bridges and burned those bridges. And they're destitute. And we have a God that rescues destitute people. People come in when they're lonely. They don't have a marriage. They don't have friendships. They don't love themselves. They don't know how to love others. They come in when they're childless. We pray for a child. And by the way, today, if you haven't been able to have a child or you've lost a child, I know this is a difficult day. And just the fact that you're here, I'm so proud of you. That's all you have to do. You don't have to feel good today. You showed up. I know some people who will never show up on Mother's Day or Father's Day. And I understand it. I don't judge them, but I want to tell them you're missing out on the healing as well. And you have a right to be there. But we've prayed for God to minister his presence, and he has. 
We've prayed for children to be brought into a family, and he's done it. Like I see Scott and Holly there. That's a miracle God gave you to each other. I'm not saying you were bad people, but it's a miracle. Maybe if Scott, no, it's a miracle. You know how it's a miracle. When you see your spouse, you go, how did this happen? I did not deserve this. I did not dress well enough to end up with the woman I ended up with. Our district supervisor can tell you that. Dave Veach does not deserve his wife. She is a grace gift. Have you noticed, by the way, women do have beauty secrets because the older we get, we age and they glow. What is that thing? Like you look, we used to be the same age. What happened? But God has given you gifts. Like I love my marriage. Nothing against you guys, but I love my marriage. If I could structure my life, I would spend all my time with my wife and kids. You might be nice people, but I'd rather be with them than with you. I would. Some of you are offended. You say, you don't know me yet. I know, but I would rather be with them. I like snuggling with my wife. You not so much. So I like being with my family. You're good with that. That's why Dave will never go out for lunch with me. We could just hang out, snuggle. No, we're not going to do it. But if I served what God created, this is what I would do. I'd spend a lot of time with my family, a lot of time with my kids. And then I'd fit God in when I needed him. Maybe if I have a crisis or maybe if it's Easter, maybe, maybe. See, you know, when people are dangerous, it's when their prayers are answered. People come in hurt and they got nowhere to go and you love on them. But once their prayers are answered, then they begin to serve the created instead of the creator. They serve their marriage. They serve their family. They serve their money. Remember when you didn't have any money and you gave $50 and that was a lot? And you still give $50, so you have 10 times as much. But there's this thing when God answers prayers, we begin to serve the prayer answers instead of the one who gave us the gifts. And it just happens. It just happens. We serve the created versus the creator. I'll look at a scripture for this. If you would turn to Romans 1.18. Turn in your iPad or iPhone or Bible. I don't care if I don't notice. You cannot check your emails while reading. Okay? I know who you are. For the wrath of God, I want to talk about the wrath of God because I'm a visitor here. So Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power. Can you say eternal power? Eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory 
of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. You know, sometimes teachers and pastors will preach on this passage and they'll say, well, how has God revealed his invisible attributes, his divine power? And we'll say, well, like, look at Mount Rainier. Look at nature. And certainly nature reveals, all creation reveals the glory of the Lord. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Because he says these invisible attributes are revealed to all of us. And therefore, we are without excuse. I think the Apostle Paul is talking about this. The created is us. The Bible says in Genesis that we are made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created us. We are a unique creation, different than every single thing that's created on the face of the earth. We are made in God's image. We are not God, but we know that we are created. We know that we come from something bigger than what we see. And many of us spend our life suppressing that knowledge. We serve the creature instead of the created or the creator. We serve the created instead of the creator. And if you look at the sin in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this happen again and again and again. Adam and Eve are created, right? And God says, you basically are going to image me on earth. I've made you in my image. So what you do is what I would do if I were in your place. So if aliens were to come to earth, I don't believe in aliens. I believe Jesus died for them if there are aliens, but still don't believe in aliens. But if aliens were to come to earth and an alien were to say, what does your God look like? What, how does your God act? We were supposed to be able to say, you know how Adam loves? That's how God loves. You know how Eve loves? That's how God loves. You know what they care about? That's what God cares about. We were supposed to image God on earth. And if you think I'm putting too much into that, Paul says later, we are ambassadors of Christ where the will of the Father flows through us. An ambassador is only supposed to proclaim the will of the country or the leader in which they serve. Adam and Eve were supposed to image God on earth to serve the created one, the creator instead of the created. But what did they do? God puts this tree. What was the name of the tree in the garden? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That doesn't seem like a bad tree, really. You would think it'd be like the tree of death and destruction and wicked evil. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. If we had turned it into a miniseries today, that'd be like this foreboding tree, you know, with fangs. Don't eat from that tree. But it was just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, theologians have argued about what this exactly means. The important thing to know is I'm right. With, no, I'm just, just kidding. So I'm not going to be like, this is the only way you can look at it. But when I've thought about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why would you need the knowledge of good and evil? Why would you even need that if you have a good God who said, I'm going to show you what to do and how to live? Why would you need it? In case you didn't trust this God, 
Why would you need a tree for the knowledge of good and evil? In case you wanted to make your own decisions. See, Adam and Eve have been created a couple days and they're like, you know what, God, you're eternal and you've existed forever, but we got this thing figured out. I mean, we got it from here. You're the great clockmaker. You're the great... You, you made this thing. Now hand it over to us. And all we need is the knowledge of good and evil so we can make the right choices and we'll make choices and you don't even need to be in our righteousness. We'll just have that knowledge ourselves, and we'll figure it out. And so Adam and Eve serve what? The created instead of the creator. And God gave them that choice. And there has to be choice. Because if we had no choice to rebel against God, then we have choice to love him. And so God gave us the opportunity to be other. To do something other than God. To choose a path other than his righteousness. To say no to his yes. To say dark to his light. To say maybe versus his certainty. And so from the beginning, the sin that entered into the world, it entered into the world through something as simple as we'll serve ourselves instead of the creator. And if you look at it again and again and again, every sin, I don't have that much time for it, but look at David. David, he has this huge empire. By the way, I'm not going to give all the scripture references, so you got to look it up. If I'm wrong, then you can call me later this week. Or, but, but it's in there. David, after his kingdom, and it's not his kingdom, it's the kingdom God has provided, it's become great and far beyond anything he could have ever hoped to achieve on his own. David has a census. He says, we need to take a census. And in a census, you not only count the people, you also get a little bit of money from every person you count. And scholars argue about what does that census mean? Was he taking a census because he was proud? Could have been. Look what I've done. Was he taking a census because he was afraid? We've got to figure out all our strengths because we've got this huge kingdom and we have to protect our kingdom. Whatever the reason was, this was one of the most offensive sins to God. And God immediately sends a plague, a plague of death to the Israelites because David decided to take what God had given him and use it to serve himself. Instead of to serve God. David, given all these gifts, a kingdom, to be a king, to lead, authority, power, dominion. The same things Adam and Eve were given. Fruitfulness, to multiply, be fruitful, have dominion. David expresses all those things. You look at every blessed person in the Bible. They're fruitful, they multiply, they have dominion. And then they choose to serve themselves. Instead of to serve the one who gave them everything. And so God sends this plague and David pleads pleads with God as the angel of death is standing on the mountain with his sword drawn over the city. And David pleads and pleads. And that's where the temple is built. The place where God stayed his hand and gave grace to the Israelites instead of the judgment they deserved. David served himself instead of the creator who is forever blessed. Look at Solomon. What gift was Solomon given? The gift of wisdom. And you know what he does with that wisdom? He uses it to pick up chicks. Right? I mean, if you look at David's downfall, he's got great wisdom. His daddy gives him everything, by the way, right? He goes, David's like, I can't build this temple. I've shed too much blood. I'm going to give you everything. And then God gives him wisdom. You got everything and you got wisdom. Pretty much all you need. And he starts using his gifts like, I'm pretty impressive. 
I'm going to impress the ladies. And Solomon's downfall is he serves the created instead of the creator. Again and again and again and again. And it's our downfall too. It's our danger. We all hear the stories of a minister who had great influence. And great things happened. But something happened along the way. And it started becoming their kingdom. And their power. And their healing. And their authority. One of the things that, Dan, I think, I like the size of this church. And Chad and I talked a lot about this. But some of the pastors who right away were very successful... I sometimes felt like they were in a harder position because they spent a lot of their time trying to maintain and keep the kingdom afloat. I'm not trying to judge. It's just a different. It's like we've got to keep this thing going. And it's, it's much more about how do we keep this thing from getting derailed? But when things don't quite work the way you thought or they're just different or there's struggle or there's you begin to go back to the creator and you say, what do you want to do? This ain't about me. It's the danger of our life to serve the created instead of the creator. You'll face this every day of your life. What grieves my heart is not the people, well, it grieves my heart, people who are broken, who never found healing. But you know what really grieves my heart? People who were rescued. God gave them life, gave them salvation. That should be enough, by the way. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that should be enough, right? You don't really need, the rest is just a cherry, right? It's like, that's enough. But God is so gracious, he's like, yeah, I'm going to rescue you from hell. I'm going to set you on a rock that's higher than yourself. I'm going to let you be a son or a daughter of the Most High Lord. I'm going to advance my kingdom through you. And also, here's all these wonderful things I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a relationship for you. I'm going to provide a marriage. I saw people come in who, who you'd never thought they'd get married, and they got married. It was a miracle. And I don't see them anymore. They're off doing their thing. Like people come up to me and say, we just bought a house. Are you excited? And I'm like, maybe. Could be great. Could be horrible. If your house is an expression of God's will and a place where you advance the kingdom, praise God. If your house becomes something you now serve and your money and your time and your energy goes towards that house versus the kingdom, then no, I'm heartbroken because I'm not going to see you anymore. And the person I see is not going to have the glory I used to see because you're spending a lot of time trying to gain glory from things that rust and corrode and fade away instead of from the one who created you and allowed you to have that house. I've seen it. It's like I almost want to pray for you not to have your prayers answered. Make them sort of healthy. No, of course not. I don't know how many times. Do you ever get people to prophesy over you that you're a lighthouse? I hate it when people prophesy that our church is a lighthouse. Because I know what that means. Lighthouse prophecy. You probably heard this one day. Lighthouse, they're like, their life is a wreck. And they come to your church and they're about to crush against the rocks and they find a lighthouse. But people don't stay at lighthouses. Lighthouses keep you from an accident and then you go somewhere else. 
this is my, you can pray for me. I'm sure there's pride and all kinds of horrible things in me. But like sending people out, like, are you kidding me? You got a job and marriage and family and income and, and God's called you somewhere else. Now, sometimes God has called him somewhere else. And that's great. That's great. It's great. Practice what I preach. I'm not growing our church. I'm growing the church. Then I have to practice that when I see someone grow and called somewhere else. But there's others I see who they've been rescued and they just start serving themselves. And they waste their lives. You're just going to waste your life if you just serve the created versus the creator. There's nothing worse you could do with your time and energy and money as wasted on yourself. There's nothing more empty and alone. See, you're right back out as your own entity versus in the one who created you. See, the choice of existence is like the choice of worship. And this is how I express it. And again, I think it's theologically correct. I'm putting a lot more theological qualifiers because my boss is here. But anyway, it's. I believe that God is. And when he created you, he didn't take from some substance outside himself. Otherwise, we are in trouble, right? God's like, I don't know what a human is. Let's take some of this mud and we'll throw it there and we'll see if something happens. There's something in creation that expresses God because it's an emanation of God. That God is fruitful and is creative, that he allows us to exist. We come from God, just as we maybe have the image of children coming from us, that we come from God. We are made of his stuff. We are not God, but we come from him. And then God gave us this tremendous, tremendous gift. And I believe this and I contend for this, that God gave us the gift of choice. He allowed us to exist outside himself at some level, to have an identity that was separate from him. And he gave us the choice. Do you want to come home? Do you want to be a part of me? Do you want to be a part of my kingdom? Do you want to understand why I created you? Do you want to be an emanation of my glory? Do you want to be an emanation of my glory? I created you to be an emanation of my glory, to image me on earth. I created you to be an ambassador of my love. I created you to be an expression of my will. Do you want that? Because I want it for you. I want it for you. When you were created, God said, very good. I'm very excited that you will be an expression of my will. But he gives us that choice because he loves us. He gives us that choice. And some people, they, they argue with God because he gives us that choice. You know why I don't believe in God? Because he allows people to do bad things. Like he allows me not to believe in him. That's why I don't believe in him. If he would only make it so I believed in him, then I would wait. You can't escape that. You can't escape that we have a choice. You've got a choice. I've seen it. I've seen people who will not worship the Lord. And I can preach and I can teach and I can manipulate. And they still won't worship the Lord. You can't make people turn. And you're dangerous if you try to. But we do facilitate environments where God can speak. And then we say, are you ready to say yes? Are you ready to come home? Are you ready? Are you ready to come into the joy? Are you ready to enter into your eternal existence? 
How could the disciples be so bold? They had already died. Before they died, they had died. They no longer were living for themselves. They had stepped to the other side of eternity. They were living within the will and way of Jesus. They had been brought in to God. I don't, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. This room is full of fruitful people. I'm not here to tell you what a lousy father you are. I'm here to say when you were created, God said very good. And if you gave your life to Christ, you're a new creation. And he freed you and you're just as spiritual as anyone here. There's no super spiritual people. There's none. You're either in Christ or not. And when you're in Christ, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So there's no superstars here. But because there's no superstars and because you're fully complete in God and because you're fully a son of the most holy Lord, then you have a choice today. To say his words or your words. To do his will or your will. To serve the creator or the created. And that never goes away. It's a love relationship. I still find those days that I'm like, Lord, would you just zap me? Would you just do it where I don't have to figure anything out? But I've got a loving father and he kneels down and he says, okay, Doug. I'm going to need you to do something. Are you ready? I'm going to need you to give that up and trust me and follow me. I want to come to the altar and pray that it doesn't seem like faith. Can you just make it seem easy? Pastor, pray for me that it seems easy. It's not easy. It's faith. It's not rational. It's faith. But why do we serve the creator? Because we believe there's more that he'll give us. He'll provide. He's a well overflowing. He's a spring of everlasting life. But it begins with faith and it ends with faith. It starts with the creator and it ends with the creator. I'm in a situation in our church right now and I'll close with this. I'm a famous radio celebrity. You too can be one. And uh, I do this radio show. And I remember when I first told people I wanted to do radio. And they looked at me like, really? But a couple years ago, that's longer. Man, time flies. It was after a service at our church. And I was really angry. And I was outside our community center. And I was angry at God. At the time, I would have said I'm not angry at God, but I was angry at God. And I was pouting. And I was outside. I didn't even want to be in the building. And I'm outside near a tree, and I'm like, Lord, why would you give me all these desires and these plans and these dreams if you won't allow my church to grow? And I know you're supposed to call it God's church, and I get it. Please don't judge me. It's not my church. I get it. But that was the, why won't you let this church grow? Why would, you, why would you give me a desire to speak to other people or to be an evangelist? Or Why would you give me those desires and you won't grow this church? There are cults bigger than this church. There's people who believe a stick is God and they got 300 people. And I was so frustrated. You're laughing. It was painful. No, it's like, and I'm like, and I just. Why? Because I had bought into this idea that first I had to grow 
like these stages, these horrible stages. Like, here's your trajectory, all that garbage. Like, well, you've got to be a church of 300 to do this. And four, and I had all this idea. We're going to go to 300 and we'll plan other churches. And, and then someday I can do this thing. And God clearly just grabbed a hold of me and said, who told you that? Did I tell you that? Go and do it. Go and do it. So I said, I'm going to do a radio show. And people looked at me like, why are you doing that? Because I want God's word to defend me. I want to be free. I want to be free. I'm not going to serve what's created. Because serving what's created is also serving blessings. And it's also serving when you don't think you have anything to offer. Don't serve the created. You have nothing to offer. Who cares? Don't serve the created. Go do what God has called you to do. And so I decided to do a radio ministry. And so we just did it. And God opened the doors. And we even have a smaller church now. I co-pastor with Pastor Dan Behrens, and, and he always brags that he brought our church down 40. He, like, helped us move in the other direction. And it's still faith. It's still faith. It's still faith. People go, wow, you've, you've made it. Like, what have we made? It's still faith. It's just as hard. Like, in the last month, I, I haven't even been able to be paid the last two months because we can't afford two pastors anymore. We just can't. And so I stood before the church three weeks ago and said, I want the weakness, my weakness to be defended by God's strength. And 1,100 four square churches or 70 or under. And when I stand up and say, you go do what God called you to do, I want there to be integrity to what I say. Well, you don't understand. You're a megachurch. I understand completely. And frankly, megachurches don't have it any easier. You just don't understand how hard it is for a megachurch. But as far as our church is concerned, we're going to do it with 120 or we'll do it with 100. Or we'll do it if there's just a few in the room. We're going to let God defend our actions. We're not going to serve the created. We're going to serve the creator. It'll never get old. You'll always have to do that. Pastor Steve Shell is a friend of mine. And I remember going to Northwest Church and praying. And I'm praying in there with a new sanctuary. And I'm like, boy, it'd be nice if you gave us one of these, Lord. <laughs> just give us one of these, right? I got a friend, John Burgess. They just gave him a church. Like, oh, well, praise God for you. you know. <laughs> He's a great friend of the faith. But, but I'm praying, like, Lord, give us this building. And it's just like the Lord says, so you can stop having faith? Okay, now we can be secure. we got a building so we can relax. There's no relax. There's just surrender. So I want to ask you today, are you willing to surrender? You're the world's best dad or the world's worst dad. doesn't matter. Don't serve what's created. Serve God. If it's pride, like, i got it going. I've locked it in. Don't lock it in. Serve God. If God wants you to turn quickly, can you turn quickly? If God says go that way, can you go that way? If God says give this, can you give that? Can you still do radical things? Can you still sell your possessions and throw them at the apostles' feet? Can you still do things where you say, you know, our house is about God. We're all in. We're not going to store up. We're not going to have storehouses. We're going to be known by faith from beginning to end. And I'm going to die in faith. I'm going to die with visions not yet seen, with promises not yet fulfilled. I'm going to teach my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. It's about faith from beginning to end. We did not serve what we saw. We serve the Creator, the One who made it. Do we believe that God creates? He's creating today. He's creating. You don't need more stuff. Give it away. Give away your time, your energy, your resource. Don't wait till you're 20. Do it when you're 12. Don't serve the created. I was called in the ministry when I was in sixth grade. Don't serve the created. 
Serve the creator. Just trust. Trust God speaking to you. I know God is speaking to you. Trust it. When you're older, you're going to realize you should have trusted it more. I know it. Don't look for other people to defend it. Some people come along and say, good idea. But others will look at you and go, you're a fool. And you say, a fool for Christ? Okay, then that's good. Be a fool for Christ. Serve him completely. If you fail to this point, don't serve the created. Place it in God's hands. If you produce great fruit or God's produced great fruit in you, don't be afraid. Hand it back to him. Hand it back to him. Hand it back to him. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. If there's anything I've said that felt harsh or condemning, I want you to know that God loves you and he's a good dad. And he'll help you with that word. He's the advocate. He's the advocate. He lifts your head. When you spend time with God, he lifts your head. He lifts your head. God is the father you want to look at. You don't have to go find him. He's not hiding out. He's not working in the lawn. He's there with you. And he's going to show you. He's like, okay, what do you have, Doug? I don't have much. Perfect. That's all I need. Give it to me. What do you have? I kind of have stuff I want to hold on to. Don't worry about it. Entrust it to me. I'll give you back what you need. Lord, I ask that you would help us. You would help us just to walk back in. We come back in. Who wants back in? You say, I've been just kind of living out here trying to manage kingdom resources. I want back in. You see that? He's just like, come on. Come in. The table's prepared. Okay, you've been the world's worst father. You didn't even get a mug. It's okay. It's okay. God takes world's worst fathers and he advances his kingdom through them. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. I want you just to receive this. Could you just receive that God is speaking to you? And he's so much in control. You're not having to do the right incantation to get his will in your life. He will bless you. But he's asking you when you receive the blessing, what house are you going to run to? Run to the house of the Lord. You're not an orphan. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. I'll make my home with you. You don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to hold on to things. Orphans hide things. Orphans protect things. You don't have to do that. Trust that the kingdom of God is and will continue to flow through you. You died. You are in Christ. Your eternal purpose is here. Let the kingdom come. Let the kingdom come in Jesus.